Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. Now, let's hear from Mike. If you got a bulletin when you came in this morning and looked at it, you might have noticed the title of my sermon this morning is When You Need Forgiveness. And if you saw that title, you probably thought to yourself, well, I know what he's going to say now. He's going to tell us that when you need forgiveness, as a Christian, you simply confess and the Lord forgives you. And of course, that's true. However, that's not exactly what I have in mind. Uh, What I have in mind is something that happens when you need forgiveness and there is something beyond that. Sometimes the situation is more complicated. So when I say when you need forgiveness, I'm talking about, well, the fact that you've sinned, And perhaps that sin got you in trouble so that that's the complication and you need more than just forgiveness. There are other things going on as well. That's the kind of thing that David talks about that happened at least once, maybe more, in his life. And as a result, he penned Psalm 25. Perhaps, as you read this psalm, it becomes evident that David's trouble, which he talks about, is due at least to some degree with his sin. So how do you pray in that kind of situation? After all, the trouble you're in is your own fault. So you can pray for forgiveness, but what about all that trouble that you're in? What do you do about that? Some would say, well, you deserve it. Well, What does David say? Well, to answer that, I'd like for you to look with me at Psalm 25. And while you're turning, let me point out that this psalm in the Hebrew text is an acrostic. Now, an acrostic is where each verse begins with a successive letter of the alphabet. So the first verse begins, if it were in English, with an A, the second with a B, the third with a C, and it goes through the alphabet. Now we have 26 letters in the English alphabet, but you might notice there are 22 verses in this psalm, and that is because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So this psalm, with one exception, is an acrostic. It follows the... Hebrew alphabet, each sentence, each verse begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. At any rate, let's look and see what David has to say. He says in verse 1, To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, Let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those who be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. 
Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, the humble he teaches his way. And the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimony. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him shall he teach his ways he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. His eyes are ever toward the Lord. He shall pluck uh, my feet out of the net. Turn yourselves to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Look at my affliction and my pain. Forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many. They hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let iniquity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of their trouble. Now, if you look at this passage, you will note that he keeps saying the equivalent of, forgive me, and he keeps repeatedly referring to the fact that he is in trouble. And that sort of permeates the psalm. So what's going on here? Perhaps. He sinned, and the sin caused trouble. That's not stated, but because of the way he writes, that seems to be what is going on. And so this psalm is basically a prayer for forgiveness, but it is much more than that. There are other things going on here besides that. So let's look at the passage carefully. The first thing he does is he simply makes request of the Lord. The first seven verses are a prayer where he's asking God for a series of things. So let's see if we can isolate those things. For example, he says in verse 1, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, no one who waits on you will be ashamed let these, those be ashamed who drill treacherously without cause. Now, in these first three verses, he's basically praying for three things. He is praying for protection. Verse 2, uh, let me not be ashamed. Let my, my enemies triumph over me. That's clearly protection. He is also praying for guidance. He is, in essence, saying, 
let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Uh, he amplifies that even more clearly uh, as it comes. He's asking for forgiveness clearly in these verses. So, <clears throat> let's go back and look at verse 1. He directly speaks to the Lord. says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. I want to comment on the word soul for a minute. It appears repeatedly in the Bible, both Testaments, and it actually means life. Technically, soul is not something you have, it's something you are. You are a living soul. You might be shocked to discover that animals have a soul. Well, that is not that they're human, it's that they have life. But this word has a lot of nuances. It not only means soul, life, it means self, mind, desire, emotions, passion. In other words, it's the individual and all that is within him. It's almost as if David is saying, I lift up all that is within me, Lord. He is praying with all that is in him, with all of his soul. And so he says... In verse 2, I trust you, let me not be ashamed, lest my enemies triumph over me. So he is clearly at this point praying for protection. He has enemies and he's praying that they won't triumph over him. The little word ashamed means ashamed, but here it probably is talking about I'm trusting you so don't let me be disappointed. Don't let me be disappointed because I'm trusting in you. Don't let my trust in you be disappointed. And secondly, don't let my enemies gloat because you have failed me. But clearly he is praying that the Lord would, not, would answer him and protect him and he not be disappointed. Then he says in verse 3, Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. So he's saying, don't let me be disappointed. That's verse 2. But let those who are, well, he says the way it's translated, treacherously without cause, those who are deceitful is the idea. Let them be disappointed. So these first couple of verses are praying, praying basically for protection. Then in verse 4, he gets to the guidance. He says, show me your way, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Now clearly, he is praying for guidance. He's saying, I not only need protection, I need guidance. And this is no doubt guidance in the dangerous situation he finds himself. So he amplifies that in verse 5. Lead me in your truth. Teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. And it says, on you I wait all the day. I need to comment on the word salvation. If you've listened to me for any period of time, you know that in the New Testament salvation comes in three tenses. I have been saved. I am being saved. I will be saved. I have been saved from the 
penalty of sin. I'm being saved from the power of sin. I will be saved from the presence of sin. Some of you are shaking your head. When you come to the Psalms, forget all that. In the Psalms, salvation is deliverance. Matter of fact, the word means deliverance in Hebrew and in Greek. Even in the, Old, in the New Testament, when it says we are saved, it means we're delivered from the penalty of sin. We're delivered from the power of sin. We will be delivered from the presence of sin. But in the Psalms, it can mean that, but most of the time it's talking about deliver me from this mess I'm in. Protect me is the idea. And in this case, he says in verse 5, lead me in your truth, teach me because you are the God of my deliverance. I'm waiting on you. And that is the idea. I'm hoping in you. I'm trusting you to deliver me from this dangerous situation I'm in. So I not only need protection, I need for you to teach me. I can't think of a better statement that when you are in a trial or a, you're in trouble, even if it's because of something you have done, one of the finest things you can do is say, Lord, teach me. Now, what most people do is when they get in trouble, they pray. And what they're praying is, Lord, get me out of the trouble, which is fine. That's not bad. But it seems to me that what we ought to be praying, even more important than that, is not get out of the trouble, but get from the trouble what you're supposed to be learning. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying, Lord, I'm in trouble. Deliver me, but teach me, guide me, lead me. I'm waiting on you. I'm trusting on you. Now, how does God teach us? You don't know the answer to that. I have failed as a pastor. God leads us by his word. So the psalmist says in Psalm 119, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. When you want to learn what you should be learning from trials and trouble, you need to go to the word to see what it is that God wants to teach you. So, in these opening verses, David is praying. He's praying for protection, and he's praying for guidance. The third thing he's praying for, as I mentioned earlier, is pardon. Look at verse 6. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are of old. So he is saying, in essence, protect me and guide me, not because of anything in me, but because of you have always been merciful and kind. You've done that consistently. So, verse 7, do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions according to your mercy remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. So again, he's in a difficult situation, and he's saying this time, Forgive me. And he's saying, forgive the sins of my youth. Now, he obviously is not a youth when he's writing this. So he's looking back and saying, you know, uh, this situation I'm in is either caused by me sinning or it has reminded me 
I got a whole bunch of sins and you need to forgive them all. Uh, This psalm just links deliverance and guidance to confession of sin. So they are somehow linked in this passage. But what caught my attention here is he's older and he's thinking, I remember the sins I committed when I was young. Does that happen? Malcolm Mugridge said, it's often said that old age is sort of a second childhood. And it's true in a way. For for instance, I remember things that happened when I was a child much more clearly and vividly than the things that happened more recently. You ever had that experience? You're showing your age. The older you get, the more that happens. He also says, more often than not, yesterday is obliviated, but I can recall exactly things that happened as long as 50 or 60 years ago. You ever had that experience? Who hasn't? An 88-year-old lady said she had memories. She said, I'm 88 years old and I have memories to prove it. I can recall past thoughts and actions And now I have the opportunity to clear them with the Lord. It feels good to be forgiven, and I know I am. So, in these opening verses, David is saying, I sinned, I'm in trouble. It seems that those two things are related. It isn't stated, but that's the way it's written And throughout the passage, that's probably the case. So what do I need? What do you pray for when you need forgiveness? Well, you you need to pray for forgiveness, but you need to pray for guidance. Teach me. You need to pray for protection if the sin has led to trouble or if the sin has caused the trouble. So just, if you were going to Put this on a flow chart. There's sin, there's trouble, and so there's prayer. And the prayer is for forgiveness, protection, and guidance. Teach me in this kind of a situation. That's the opening verses, the opening movement of the psalm in the first seven verses. The next part of this passage really gets interesting. For in a sense, David ceases to talk about himself And he talks about the character of God. Only when he's talking about God, he's still talking about his need for forgiveness and guidance and protection. But the focus now, beginning at verse 8 and going down in the passage through verse 15, is on the Lord. So look at verse 8. He says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners his ways. You see the switch? Now he's going to begin with the Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, and therefore he teaches sinners in the way. Now, prior to this, he was just flat out saying, I need guidance, teach me. Now he is starting with God's character. God's character is the basis for his blessing. Did you hear that? Did you hear what I just said? God's character is the basis 
for all of his blessing. He is good and upright. I don't come to God and get blessed because of who I am. I come to God and get blessed because of who he is. So David is saying, I need all these things. I'm guilty and you're going to bless me, but that's not because of, I'm doing something. It's because of who you are. Now, you want to know your part? It's in verse 9. The humble he guides in justice. The humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are merciful, mercy and truth as such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. So, you want to have the Lord teach you? then what you have to do is be humble. He teaches, he guides in justice humble sinners. James says in James chapter 4, he resists the pride, the proud, and he gives grace to sinners. So sinners that are proud are in essence saying, I don't need the Lord's guidance. I don't need the Lord's mercy or instruction. I'm going to do this my way. And the humble says, oh no, I need the Lord. And the Lord's going to bless me, not because I'm humble, but because of who he is. But the humble then get the guidance and the proud don't. One other observation about this. Did you see what he said in verse 10? All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Uh, again, if you've heard me teach a lot, you've heard me say this a lot, but those are the two great truths of the Bible. Leviticus says God is holy. Leviticus 11. 1 John says God is love. 1 John 4. Clustered around holiness is justice and truth and righteousness. And clustered around love are the concepts of grace and mercy and compassion. Now, those two things pop up in the Bible over and over and over and over and over. As a matter of fact, it permeates the Psalter, the Psalms. And here again is an illustration. Lord, I want you to teach me. Teach me what? Truth and mercy. Righteousness and love, all basically the same thing. So he is now again praying for God's guidance, only he's basing it on God's character. Now, look at verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Did you notice? He's again praying for forgiveness. Those three things he prayed for in the beginning. Only he doesn't start now with his sin. He starts with God's nature. He says, for your name's sake. Don't do this for me, but do it because of your name's sake. Now, in the scripture, a person's name stands for the person. So he is saying, Lord, because of who you are, forgive me. This is not because of my merit. It's because of your character. 
I think sometimes we're tempted to say, forgive me, Lord, I promise I'll do better next time. Did you ever do that? You know, I, I, I messed up this time, but if you'll forgive me this time, I, I promise you I won't mess up next time. Now that, I, that, that's fine. I don't want you to mess up next time. But that isn't the basis of God's forgiveness. He does not forgive us because we promise to do something. He forgives us because of who he is. And in the New Testament, because Christ died and paid for the sin. So the argument here is, Lord, forgive me because of who you are. Now notice one more thing in verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 11. He says, for your namesake, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Do you ever have a great iniquity? I think most uh, Christians think their little sins are small by comparison to somebody else. You know, and we always pick somebody like Al Capone to measure ourselves with. Do you ever commit a big sin? How about a great sin? I mean a big one. God forgives big sins. You see that? Matter of fact, someone has said, since God forgives sins for his name's sake, he will be ready to forgive any sin as well as the few sins, the great and the small. This author went on to say, indeed, the more and the greater our sins are, the greater is the forgiveness. And consequently, the greater is God's glory. God forgives sinners. Did you hear that? Do you believe that? God forgives sinners. Big sinners. People who've committed great sins. It's right there in that verse. Not because of what the sinner does, other than humble himself before God, but because of who God is. He then says in verse 13, He himself who dwells in prosperity and his descendants shall inherit the earth. I skipped verse uh, 12, so let's go back and pick it up. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He shall teach uh, his ways he chooses. All right. He's been praying for forgiveness in verse 11, based on God's character. Now he's going to ask just that the Lord's going to bless him. And he spells out the blessing in verse 13. He himself will dwell in prosperity. Would you look at this? This is unbelievable. God is going to forgive him in verse 11 and bless him in verses 12 and 13. And he's going to bless him with prosperity. And as if that's not enough, he says, and his children shall inherit the earth. So David is envisioning a man who fears the Lord, that's a man who trusts the Lord, as one who enjoys God's best blessing. This kind of, experience, this kind of person will experience unmistakable guidance. God will show him the way to go. Personal prosperity. He will enjoy abundant provision. Family security. His children will possess 
the land. Wow. But it's all based on God's character, and that's his point throughout this passage. Look at verse 14. The secrets of the Lord is with those who fear him. He will show them his covenant. So, in verses 12 to 14, he's simply saying, the Lord blesses people based on who he is. And the blessings are spelled out. He's going to bless the humble with prosperity. He's going to bless their children. And he's going to reveal his secrets to them. Now, several times in this passage, we've seen a couple of them. The psalmist asked for the Lord to guide him, to teach him. Well, the Lord does that. And he says very clearly before this, to the humble, he does reveal his secrets. He reveals his secrets to them. Uh, you know, there are people who know the Bible. And there are people who know the Lord. And they know his truth. They know the way he works. They know him and his truth. So that the Lord, I, I listen to these people. I know people want to talk about theology. Uh, and that's fine. I enjoy talking about theology. But that's all they do. People get hung up on prophecy. I, I have very strong convictions about prophecy. But that's all they talk about. They get hung up on that. So you listen to them and you think, wow, they're spiritual. They know the Bible. And they do. But that's, not, that's different than talking to somebody who may, may not know as much Bible as they just know the truth of the Bible because the Lord has revealed his secrets to them. I've met some highly edu uneducated people who knew more about the Lord and his word than people who had great degrees. They just knew the secrets of the Lord. John, in the New Testament, is the one who leaned on Jesus' chest. Remember that? And he is the one who wrote the book of Revelation. The one who's leaning on the Lord's breast is the one to whom the Lord reveals his secrets. Matter of fact, in that very scene, John said, who is it? And the Lord told him. The Lord reveals his secrets. I don't know about you. I want to be that kind of person. More than anything, I just want to know. Lord, I want to know your wisdom. I know mine. I need, no, I need yours. Amen? Amen? May you hunger for that. Hunger and thirst for that. That the Lord teach you. Not just fill your head full of facts, but your heart full of a passion for truth, his truth. That's what the psalmist is saying. That's who the Lord reveals it to. All right. We're in that section where he's talking about God's character. And now he's praying for forgiveness. He's saying God forgives. God blesses. Now look at verse 15. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. He's back to praying for protection again, only it's in the context of God's character. The net is obviously the net of danger. 
Some have called it the, the net of trouble and affliction. So he's entangled in this mess, and he's saying, Lord, deliver me. My eyes are continually looking towards you, which is a picture of prayer. I'm constantly praying, reaching out to you. So Lord, bless me, because that's what you do. That's the kind of God, God you are. Bless me. So, God reveals his secrets. God teaches. God guides. He forgives and he protects, but he wants to do more than forgive you. He wants to teach you. He wants to guide you in his truth. In the verses we've already looked at, and there's more, he says, show me your way, in verse 4. Lead me in your truth, verse 5. Teach me mercy and truth, verse 10. Give me the secrets of the Lord, verse 14. And all of this is saying, the Lord gives forgiveness and protection, but what he really wants to do is teach us, guide us. He wants to teach us his wisdom, not just man's wisdom. Let me pause for a minute. I want to talk to you about that very thing. I just said the Lord teaches us through his word, and he does. He teaches us through his word. My brother said to me recently that experience teaches us what the teacher can't. That's true. There's some things you learn by listening to a teacher. There's some things you just learn by experience. So can I take a minute and just tell you how to learn God's truth by experience? Can I tell you what, how the way God works? I mean, that's what he says throughout here. Show me your way. Lead me in your truth. Well, what is that? Well, there's lots of it, a book full of it. Let me give you one sliver of it. One of the ways he does it is he does not exempt you from sin or suffering. God will let you make a stupid mistake. God will let you sin so that you can grow and learn. Christians aren't exempt from suffering either. God will let you suffer. Matter of fact, that's designed to help us grow. That's the purpose so that we can become more and more like him. Years ago, a blacksmith uh, had come to know the Lord. He was asked by an unbeliever, why is it that you're in so much trouble? Since you joined the church and changed the way you're living, you have twice as many accidents and trials as you did before. I thought that when a man gave himself to God, his troubles were over. The blacksmith replied, you see this piece of steel? It is for the spring of a carriage, but it needs to be tempered. In order to do this, I heat it red hot, and then I cool it with water. If I find that it'll take a temper, I heat it again. Then I hammer it and bend it and shape it so that it is suitable for the carriage. Often I find the steel is too brittle and cannot be used. 
If so, I throw it on the scrap pile. Those scraps are worthless. The carriage spring is valuable. God saves us for something more than to have a good time. We have joy, all right, but the smile of God means heaven. But he wants us for service, just as I want a piece of steel. He puts the temper of Christ in us by testing and trials. Ever since I saw this, I've been saying to him, Teach me your way, Lord. Don't throw me on the scrap pile. That's it. That's what the psalmist is saying. Even though he sinned, even though he was in trouble, he was saying, Lord, teach me. Don't put me on the scrap pile. Teach me so you can use me. So far... We've looked at two sections of this psalm. In the first section, David prays. He prays basically for forgiveness, for protection, and for guidance. In the second section, he basically does the same thing, only now he's asking for those things based on God's character, not on anything he has done. There's a third and last section in this psalm. And in this section, David pleads with the Lord. He goes back to praying. In verse 16, he says, Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. So he returns to asking God to intervene. In his present plight, he is lonely and afflicted. I find that a fascinating combination of words. Perhaps they relate to what he's telling us about what's going on at this point in his life. He has sinned, and sin tends to isolate you. You feel alone and desolate. Nobody quite understands because in some cases you don't tell them. And then you feel afflicted. And in this case, David has talked about both of those. And so he is saying Turn yourself to me. Have mercy on me because I feel desolate and I am afflicted. So he says in verse 17, Troubles of my heart have enlarged. Being out, uh, bring me out of my distress. So he again is praying for mercy, but he's praying deliver me. One of the constant themes that works its way through this entire chapter. Because of his troubles, his heart has grown greater. It groans. He asked the Lord to deliver him from his distress. Relieve him from his overburdened, grieving heart. And then he says in verse 18, Look on my affliction and pain and forgive all my sin." He's right back at it. He is asking for God to deliver him in verse 17 and forgive him in verse 18. And to make it complete, he asks for protection in verse 19. Consider my enemies, for they are many. They hate me with cruel hatred. So here are the three things he began with in the opening verses of the psalm. Lord, forgive me. 
deliver me, protect me. These are the kinds of things he's asking for. So he says in verse 20, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. He wants to not be ashamed because he is trusting the Lord. Now there are two more verses, and they don't seem to fit the psalm at all. Look at verse 21. He says, let uh, integrity and uprightness preserve me. What? (laughs) Throughout this passage, he's prayed, I'm a sinner. Forgive me, not because of me, but because of who you are. And he gets to the end and says, well, I do have integrity. (laughs) And I am upright. And that should preserve me. Now, how do you explain that in light of everything he said before this? The answer is in the last part of that verse. For I wait on you. The integrity he's talking about and the uprightness he refers to is the waiting on the Lord, trusting the Lord, humbling himself before the Lord. That's his spiritual integrity. Not that he hasn't sinned. He's admitted that throughout. Not that he isn't in trouble, perhaps because of his own doing, but he says, I do wait on you. And so I'm asking you to forgive me and protect me and to teach me. One other word, the last verse. And by the way, this is where the acrostic falls apart. This doesn't fit the acrostic. Redeem Israel. Where did that come from? Oh God, out of all their troubles, learn a very important lesson. Is David in trouble? Yeah. Is David praying the Lord will get him out of trouble? Yeah. So how does he end the prayer? He prays for somebody else that's in trouble. And here again is one of the greatest spiritual lessons you can possibly learn. When people get in trouble, all they do is think of themselves. One of the finest things you can learn is when you're in trouble, go help somebody else. Go pray for somebody else. James starts out, count it all joy when you fall into various kinds of trials. That's James chapter 1, verse 2. And read the chapter, and he tells you what to do. Gets down to the end of that chapter, and he says, now let me tell you what pure religion is. Go visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. James chapter 1 starts out with you having trouble, and it ends with go help somebody else that's in trouble. That one of the finest things God wants to teach us is that we ought not be self-centered. We ought to be serving him by serving others. The Lord blesses us so that we can bless others. That, that's one of the great truths of the Bible. Just read Genesis and get up to as far as chapter 12. God says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you can become a blessing to the whole world. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. 
Peter talks about that. Don't render a curse. Don't threaten. Bless. So David, I think, has learned. God has guided him. God has taught him. You need to pray for Israel in their trouble. I learned about trouble by having it. And I learned when people are in trouble, they need prayer. So I've learned to pray for others who are in trouble. Amen Amen. and amen. All right. Not going on in this passage, but basically it's simply saying, when you need forgiveness, that's where we started, you also need perhaps deliverance and guidance. So ask the Lord for them. But let me give you a lesson in prayer and how to pray. When you're praying for this and other things, remind the Lord of his character. And don't forget to pray for other people. Don't just be self, selfish about it all. So God provides forgiveness of sin. God provides deliverance from trouble. God provides guidance through his word because of who he is. What we need is humility, faith, and prayer. When you came today, did you think you needed forgiveness? Probably not. You probably thought, well, I do have a few troubles I got. Did you come to the morning thinking you had a few difficulties, trouble? Well, let me tell you what fits us all, and we all need a little guidance. So there's something here for all of us. You might not have arrived at the big sin that David talks about, the great iniquity, calls it. And you might not be snared in the net of trouble, as he refers to it, but all of us need guidance. So let me conclude by saying this. God forgives, God guides, God blesses, God uses us if we simply recognize who he is and act accordingly. We come to him for his grace and mercy, compassion, love, guidance, and protection. You've got to depend on the Lord. That's what it all comes down to. Or let me put it like this. I don't care how low you get. I don't care how much trouble you're in. Let me take the extreme case. Because we've all been there at one time or another, and probably we'll end up there again. This is a pretty low point. He says, I've committed a great sin. I'm in a net of trouble. I'm snared. I'm trapped in trouble. And oh, do I need your guidance. Sometimes, at our lowest point, God gives us our greatest blessing. May I repeat that? There are times when at our lowest point, God gives us our greatest blessing by teaching us 
and using us. That's a profound thought. Don't dismiss it. It is said that George Frederick Handel, that when he was, his health and his fortune had reached their lowest ebb, when his right side had become paralyzed and his money was all gone, that he rose to his greatest height in his Christian experience. His creditors were threatening him with imprisonment for non-payment of his debt. They did that in those days. And he was greatly distressed in every way. But finally, putting his trust completely in the Lord, he went into seclusion and there fellowshiped with the Lord as never before. While meditating and praying, the notes seemed to fly from his pen upon the manuscript before him, and he wrote his greatest masterpiece, Handel's Messiah. Wow. Regardless of what you're going through, even if it includes the fact that you've sinned and need forgiveness, Cast yourself on the Lord. He wants to forgive you, guide you, and bless you because that's the kind of God He is. Let's pray. Father, we get ourselves in a mess and all we think about is the mess. Thank you for this reminder of who you are And Lord, use this to teach us to not look at ourselves or our trouble, but to look at you, to see who you are, to trust you, to teach us and guide us and use us, even if it's no more than praying for other people. In Jesus' name, amen.